Well, I love that special about heaven. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Heaven. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And while you're doing that, we'll do some quick review here. We're talking about some things worth knowing. One of those things is Jesus Christ is our Savior. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Whom I have believed. Too many people are worried about what they believe. And they connect it to a church or a creed. Just know whom you have believed. Knowing Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And then we talked about the character of that Savior. And to know him is to love him. And to love him that loved us first. And by the way, folks, just as a little addendum to that, the way you increase your love for the Lord is you you focus more on his love for you. Not that we loved him, the Bible says, but that, that he loved us. And our love comes as a response to his love first. I've seen too many Christians try to work it up. Oh, I want to love the Lord more. I want to love the Lord more. In fact, if there's anything I can't stand any worse in preaching is a, a preacher standing in the pulpit and berating everybody for not loving the Lord enough. You don't love the Lord enough. You don't love the Lord enough. And I always think to myself, and you do? How'd that happen? And then, you know, they're pounding the pulpit. You don't love the Lord enough. You don't love the Lord enough. And I think, duh. But you're not going to work up your love for the Lord by that. I can't shame you into loving the Lord. I can't shame myself. Did you ever try to do it? Oh, man, I'm so ashamed of myself. I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and I did that, and I stepped in it over here. And you grit your teeth, and you clench your fists, you put your feet down real flat and determine to do better. Nothing. You know how you learn to love the Lord more? Focus on his love for you. And you won't be able to help yourself. You won't be able to help yourself, folks. So to know him is to love him. We find out God answers prayer. What a wonderful thing. That of, all the, of all the Christian disciplines in this life, prayer is probably one of the greatest mysteries, but it's probably one of the most important. And what a wonderful bridge that God has given us to connect us to him during this time when he's out of sight. He's out of sight. Isn't that something? We're singing these songs about loving somebody we've never seen with our eyes. Isn't that amazing? But someday, as Fanny Crosby said, we will see him face to face. Now I want to look at one more thing. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this fourth thing, this last thing. This is worth knowing, that we shall be changed. We shall be changed. Let's take our Bibles. Uh, keep your hand there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and flip over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible this morning, don't worry about it. Look on with somebody else. And if you can't do that, just listen up. We'll take a look at these verses together. We shall be changed. Now, when you start talking about heaven and the future and all that, there's several things that, that come to people's minds often. And uh, one of those things that comes to mind is the idea of prophecy. Prophecy. And... I don't know about you, but I got saved in the early 70s, and it seemed like studying about prophecy was way more exciting then than it is now. You get what I'm saying? 
You know, because all that nasty stuff that was going to happen in the book of Revelation was way out there. And the worst thing that happened was gas went from 25 cents a gallon to 50. There are a lot of people thinking, we're halfway through the tribulation. But a lot of time has come and gone, hasn't it? And some of the things that are going on in this world are sure pointing to the book of Revelation, aren't they? They're sure, sure pointing to the times that the Bible calls the great tribulation. Now, the church isn't going through it, but keep in mind, folks, that these things aren't like a light switch that God flips. You know, everything's going along great, and then God flips the switch and everybody gets evil. It doesn't work that way. There's a progression here. And if you've been saving your length of time, you're seeing that progression. Now, we're not going to talk about prophecy per se. Um, we're not going to talk about going home to be with the Lord in the sense of getting out of our circumstances here, which, by the way, is a good thing. Are you glad this morning that heaven is way better than the earth? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Lord. Uh, I'm looking forward of those kind of changes. But that's not exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to be very precise this morning and, and talk specifically about the fact that we will be changed. We will be changed. Now, if you've got any arrogance or any conceit in you, you're going to say, why? And all I can say is if you're married, just ask your wife on the way home today why you need to be changed. If, if, you're, if you're one of the kids in the family, just ask your siblings. I was going to say your parents, but your siblings will be way more honest. Folks, we all need to be changed. Even if we're saved this morning, we need to be changed. Think about it. Think about it. We go from being lost to saved. That's a great change, isn't it? But God tells us we can look forward from being saved to being resurrected. And when we're resurrected, we are going to experience a radical, radical transformation. Saul of Tarsus went to the apostle Paul from being lost to saved. Uh, Brother Jack Wood, some of you remember him. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And uh, he grew up a literal gypsy, a literal gypsy in Texas. I mean, town to town. He told me stories. I used to spend the night there when I'd preach over there, and we'd sit up till two in the morning, and he would tell me these gypsy stories, and I'd be on the ground laughing sometimes. They go from town to town, literal pickpockets and all the stuff that go with it. They, they got some watered down, next to nothing cheap water paint one time and painted the whole downtown area of this little, this little town, and then got out of town before it rained because they needed to. <laughs> and just story after story. And before he got saved, he was a heroin addict on top of it. He used to call it, he said, I was a dope fiend, is what he'd say. He said, I was a dope fiend. Uh, he, he, had, he couldn't understand preachers that would get up and try to spice up their testimony by saying that they had been drug addicts, and he'd say, that guy was never a dope fiend. And then he'd say, some of you remember him, he'd say, why would you want to be a dope fiend? And he was a dope fiend. In fact, he went home a little bit early because it took a toll on his liver later on in life. 
But he's got a track out, and I believe we have it in the bookstore. It goes from narcotics to the Nazarene. Uh, I would say that was a big change in his life, amen? But you know what? He's experienced another one now, a far more dramatic one, going home to be with the Lord. Uh, some of you remember Brother David Spurgeon preaching here, and some of you have read his book. But you look at a picture of him in that book, and he was a... a, a part of the motorcycle gang called the outlaws he was a one percenter that meant he was hardcore i mean when the law came after him it was helicopters it was searchlights it was doors busted down it was fully automatic uh, weapons and when you read his book he was fortunate to survive his arrest and you know what ended up happening he got for real saved there were some King James Bible-believing independent Baptists that went into that prison and preached to him for about six months to a year, and he received Christ as his Savior, and he was dramatically changed. He ended up before the judge again, and the judge said he would do something he's never done before, but his sentence, I believe the word they used would be commuted or something like that, and his assignment, are you ready for this? He was to go all over the country, because he couldn't leave the country, I still don't think he can. But he was to go all over the country telling people how God changed his life. How's that for a sentence? <laughs> Would you say there was a change in that man's life? But you know what he's looking forward to one day? Another change. Another change. We could go on and on and tell story after story. There's, so, there, there, there's many of them here this morning. But we're look for, looking forward excuse me, to another change. Look at 1 John here. And 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Okay? So if you're like me and you look in the mirror sometimes and go, oh, boy. You know, people say, do you, you, you try to fix yourself up in the morning to look handsome? No, I, I try to fix myself up a little bit in the morning to keep from making dogs bark and children cry. But you know what? God's not done with us yet. If you're saved here this morning, then you're a son of God, but it doth not yet appear what you shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, <coughs> excuse me, we shall be what? Like him. We shall be like him. Oh, and by the way, we'll like it. You know, sometimes getting to be like him in this life gets a little bumpy in the road, doesn't it? You know, I, I wonder about some of those geniuses that wrote those songs. I want to be like Jesus. Well, I understand the sentiment behind it, but I wonder sometimes if they really stop and think what that means. The Bible talks the power of his resurrection but in order to get that, we must have the fellowship of his sufferings. And won't that be something to be just like him, but without the suffering? And then notice this one. Notice the end of the verse. For we shall see him as he is. <laughs> wow. Wow. We shall see him as he is and we'll be like him. Uh, let's look at another one. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be changed someday, folks. Look at verse 11. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, Paul says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Someone said one time, that, that's picking up after your kids' toys. Verse 12. Now watch verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. And these things we understand about heaven and these things we understand about seeing the Lord, we do see them through a glass darkly, don't we? It's like it's glass looking through a haze or smoked glass. We, we don't see it real clear just yet. But he says, but then face to face, face to face, to see Christ face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Look at that last part. I will know even as I am known. I will know myself as God knows me. People weren't around looking for themselves. I remember back in the day, some of you may not be old enough to remember this, but how many of you are old enough to remember when people were going to California to find themselves? I don't know how many kids I graduated uh, from high school with in the suburbs of Chicago. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to California, man. Why? Oh, find myself. Hey, folks, and you know what, by the way, I, I don't know if I would want to know myself as God knows me now. Now, I understand in a theological way. I understand positionally we're accepted in the beloved, and I get all that, and we should be focused on that. But God sees all the rest too, doesn't he? But one of these days, I shall know even as also I am known. Uh, go to Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be changed, folks. We're going to be changed, and we're going to be like him. Like him. Folks, my real hope is not in the kingdom builders. My hope is not in this old world. Some of you remember old brother Mel Sabaka. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He preached here a number of times back in the day. And he came from Staten Island, New York. And, and he told me one of the great claims to fame that Staten Island, New York has is the world's, are you ready for this, biggest garbage pile. He said that thing is so big, the bulldozers and tractor stuff work on top of it, and, and, and it's, I think it was something like 100 feet in the air. It was just, it was huge. And there was a whole system built around it, you know, to extrude the gases and all that business, and it's just crazy. But you know what? That reminds me of this old world. Isn't it nice we got some, some more good news on COVID? Now we can sample the South African variant. It's the virus du jour. <laughs> that's this old world, isn't it? That's this old world. I, that's not my hope, folks. I, I hope that's not your hope. I, I hope this is your hope this morning. Because, folks, nobody can take it from you. It's not about... It's not about circumstances. It's not turning the news on delicately and hoping nothing bad is out there. It's the promises of the word of God concerning heaven and concerning the fact that we will be changed. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. The Bible says, and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. 
Even the saved, they groan within themselves, just like all creation groans right now. Hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. Uh, the animals, the aggression of animals. All these things in nature that were not the way they were in the garden until man sinned. Nature itself groans within itself. It's, it's waiting for the adoption. That is the redemption of God's people. And in verse 23, he says, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves. Why do we groan within ourselves? Because there's one last thing about us that isn't redeemed yet. If you're saved here this morning, the Bible says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Your spirit is redeemed. And the Bible talks about your soul being saved. But we're a trichotomy, and there's one more part. It's our bodies. It's our bodies, amen? And, and, and those are, God's put a down payment on our bodies. The earnest of the Spirit, the Spirit of God living inside of you, is God's promise that someday he's coming up, he's coming back to pick up your body and fashion it unto the glorious body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we will be like him. Now, you say, some of you might be saying, well, we're going to look exactly like him. No, I think you'll have your identity. But you'll have your identity instead of the kind of bodies that we have now, you'll have your identity in a resurrection body, a glorious resurrection body. Oh, man, I wish I could go into that this morning. There's so much to say about that. But look at this here, verse 23. He says, waiting for the adoption to wit, that is the redemption of our body, that which in the book of Ephesians, the Bible says God put a down payment on, the earnest of the Spirit. The earnest of the Spirit is the promise of our inheritance someday that our bodies will be changed. I was looking at our prayer list for tonight, and uh, right away, there were three or four people that are undergoing cancer treatment right now as we speak. That's a game changer. But you want to know something, folks? With the new body, we'll forget what the word cancer even means. Heart attack, what's that? Cardiologist, who needs him? Graveyards, don't see any. Why is that? Because we'll have new bodies, folks. And we'll be changed. He says, waiting for the adoption, verse 23. To wit, that is the redemption of our body, verse 24. For we are saved uh, by hope. So what kind of salvation is he talking about there? The salvation of our bodies. Spirit and soul are already taken care of, but we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Okay, so we're still waiting for something we haven't seen yet. And, and, I, and I read in the word of God about Christ after the resurrection, and, and I get kind of a foggy picture through the glass darkly, Amen. And I have an idea that God says that's how my body's going to be like, but I still have to hang my hat on hope, on what God said in his word, the promise. And even though I don't understand it all or understand much of it this morning, I believe in him. I believe he wouldn't mislead me. And then look at verse 25. But if we hope for that, we see not. Again, the context is our resurrection body then do we, watch this now, watch it, those of you that are in chronic pain. Huh, Doc? Yeah. Uh, those of you that are chronically fatigued, 
Those of you that a good day would just to feel normal for a little while. How about those of you that that age is starting to is starting to diminish the illusion of your incredible physical prowess? Some of you that were athletically inclined, the day came where you realized the only place you were a legend was between your ears. All of that sets in on us eventually. You say, well, bless God, I'm going to work out. I think that's great. I'm going to lift weights. Wonderful. I, I, I'm going to jog and, and ride a bike and do all these aerobic exercises. Wonderful. And, and, and I'm not going to eat anything bad, and I'm going to have a bowl of seaweed every day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In fact, you can have mine. <laughs> Don't worry. If there's ever a run on seaweed, I won't be part of it. And you know what? Father, time is still undefeated. But look at the hope we have, folks. For what a man hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for us. Folks, as Christians, I, I hope we could do what I really believe God wants us to do today, and that is look at death a little differently. Look at, look at death, not, not so much is the ultimate enemy to be, to be feared, but to think in terms of death like Thomas Brooks, the English Puritan preacher, back in the 1600s. He's best known for his many books, and we've got some of his sermons are still in print, but one in particular is a, a funeral sermon he preached back in the 1600s. And here's what he said. He said, death is another Moses. I bet you when he first said that, people were wondering, what's he talking about? He said, death is another Moses. It delivers us out of bondage and from making bricks in Egypt. <coughs> I mean, think of it. When you're dead, you're not going to have to go to work. Homemakers, after you're dead, you've washed your last dish. You've cleaned your last toilet. And you've changed your last diaper. He says it delivers us out of bondage and from making bricks in Egypt. He goes on to say, remember this. Death does that in a moment, which no graces, no duties, or any ordinances could do for a man in all of his lifetime. Death frees a person from diseases, corruptions, temptations, that no duties or graces or ordinance could ever do. Every prayer after we die shall have its answer. All hungering and thirsting shall be filled and satisfied. Every sigh, groan, and tear that has fallen from the saint's eyes shall then be recompensed. That is not death, but it is life, and it joins the dying man to Christ. When we're freed from these bodies... We're freed from every problem we have today. Folks, think of it. As a lost person, if you had that much foresight, if you managed, if you managed just for a brave moment to do what most lost people don't ever do, and that is think about eternity. 
Or, or think about the end game while you're still young. And you look at what's out there. And folks, at best, at best, you can surmise that it's a blind leap into the dark. And I always get a kick out. He's, oh, I'm not, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death. And they're lost. I'm not afraid of death. Yeah, just put them in the foxhole when the artillery starts going off. I've read stories of grown men gnawing the ground with their teeth. And you know what God's done for us? He's made, a, he's made death a blessing in disguise. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, death, where's your sting, death? Grave, where's your victory, grave? We shall be changed. We shall be changed. Take a look at verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. I, I don't know if we'll get through with this uh, today, but uh, would it be okay to talk about getting our resurrection bodies for two weeks? That'd be all right. I kind of like it. Verse 35, but some man will say, uh, Paul is arguing to some of the foolish believers in Corinth that denied the resurrection. And, and in so doing, they were denying the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is straightening out uh, this issue with some of these. And he says in verse 35, he says, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? He says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except to die. In other words, our body is like a seed. It's like a seed. It goes into the ground, and it decays, but it comes up alive and multiplied and vibrant. And he says, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be but, but bare grain. Now, now, let me stop here for a second because this brings out something I think is important just by way of our understanding. We talk about getting a new body. It's not that you're going to have one laying in the grave and another one over there. It's that this one will be changed. And folks, I don't care if somebody was buried out at sea. God can pull the fragments together and put it back together as a glorified body. Don't you ever doubt it. And, and, and if there's somebody in there that's been 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 500 years, they'll still come up a glorified body. Just as glorified as those that are alive and remain when Christ comes back. And he says in verse 37, And that which thou sowest... <coughs> Thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. Uh, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now notice the argument he's making here. He's trying to explain that, look, we're going to have certain kind of bodies in this life and, and a different kind of body in the next life suited to that life. Just like the bodies we have now are suited to this life. Have you ever just thought of what a miracle the human body is? Evolution, come on. Come on, don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. You've got to be kidding. But every once in a while, I'll just go and grab something and hold it, and I'll think, wow. That may not seem like a big deal, but stop and think about it. Who designed that? Pretty good, huh? I mean, and we could go on and on and on. And, 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 and so we're told here, um, he says, all flesh is not the same flesh. Verse 39. 
But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. Okay, so what's Paul saying? He's saying even in this life, you know, God wants a bird to fly. He makes a bird a certain way. He made us a certain way to to do what we do. Um, The flesh of men, what are we good at? Uh, We're good at adapting. we, We have the intelligence to do certain things. Yeah, we can fly, but not not because we can flap our wings, but because they invented the airplane, and we get on it. Uh, We were told to have dominion over this world. Paul talks about the flesh of beasts, bears. A black bear goes into into a big bee's hive and grabs the honey out of it. You try that. You try that and see, see what it gets you. Polar bears. Wife and I, a couple years ago, got to go up to Churchill, Manitoba, up in the Arctic, and, and uh, just learned so much about the polar bears. Amazing. They have found polar bears swimming 100 miles in the Arctic water from the nearest ice flow or land. You know what that is? That's a flesh of beasts. Kodiak bears in Alaska, 1,600 pounds. You ever, you ever see a video, or maybe even better yet, uh, in person see them catching salmon? Don't you wish you could fish that good? I've, been, I've told you before, I, I like to fish and I like to catch fish, but I'm not a fisherman because I don't have any patience. But I'll be out there in the clear water in the river, and I'll see those big rainbow trout out there, and I'll be wiggling everything in the world at them, and they just look like they're laughing at me. You know what a Kodiak bear does? He just goes down and grabs one. This is flesh of beasts. How about lions and their ferocity? How about cheetahs and their speed? Running down a deer, running down an antelope. You know what I do when I run 100 yards? I get, I get winded. And I don't catch anything. The flesh of beasts. An elephant can smell the scent of a human four miles away. I can't smell anything anymore, which has its advantages. Four miles away. You watch the fish uh, gracefully uh, swimming. Uh, one of the things we got to do up in, up, in, uh, up in Churchill was to go in these little uh, blow-up dinghy uh, rafts and go along where the beluga whales were. Now, beluga whale is, is, is a smaller whale but they're still, they're, they're white and they're, they're graceful swimmers and they're swimming right alongside of us. And, and what's that? That's the flesh of beasts. God wanted them to live in the water, so he made them to live in the water. If you've ever been to a place where you could go snorkeling, we went to Hawaii one time and see all those beautiful fish down there. We've studied about the eagles and what amazing creatures they are and, and how they're built to live in the air, Literally. One day I was working out in the, in the back of our place down there in Cuna, and we have a lot of hawks around there, that, that birds of prey area where you can view them. is just a little bit south of us. And uh, there was a hawk circling around, screaming, making some noise up there, and, and I'm almost gotten used to it. But uh, this particular day I was working on something, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this hawk turn down to dive, to take a dive. And I looked just in time for this hawk to hit a little, I don't know what it was, 
but it, 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 when, when he was done, there wasn't much of it left. Little bird, a starling, sparrow, whatever it was, robin, I don't know. But man, when he hit that thing, there was an explosion of feathers. And he come back up in the air holding on to this bird. He landed not too far from where he hit it, and he's picking it apart and eating it. And I've read stories about how fast they descend into dives, and they got these little layers that go over their eyes. And, and they got a layer that's like a sunglass. So, so if they're having to fly, like for instance, the eagle, if he has to fly into the sun to get rid of some birds that are chasing him, he can fly right into the sun and see where the other birds can. Isn't evolution wonderful? And then he's got another layer when he goes into a dive, and there, I can't remember how fast it is, but it's well over 100 miles an hour, uh, straight down sometimes to go into the water and catch a large fish a couple feet below the surface of the water, come out of it with their claws. Uh, besides having the, that, that sunglass version of their eyes, they also have another layer that protects them from all that wind when they're going over 100 miles an hour down there. You know what that is? That's a flesh of beasts. That's the flesh of beasts. You and I can't do that. You and I can't do that. They got these guys now, these base jumpers, and now they got them instead of having a parachute. I thought having a parachute was crazy enough, but now they jump like Rocky the Flying Squirrel, right? With that thing between their feet and their, their hands, and sometimes it works out. <laughs> and sometimes it don't. You know, I watch these guys in these, these paragliders with, with, the, with the, the engines on them. It's a snowmobile engine. And I've never been tempted to go paragliding, but that looks like fun. So Brother, Brother Gary Clay, is he here today? So him and I got talking about it. And we started talking ourselves into the idea that would be a great hobby to take up. So we started looking it up online. And I saw the takeoff of one of these things, and I saw the landing of one of these things, and I said, nope. <laughs> the floating around, you know, a couple hundred feet in the air, saying hi to all your neighbors, that looked like fun. But along with most flying, it's the starting and the stopping that gets a little tricky. And you know what? God's made us a certain way because we're here in this life. And one of these days, he's going to give us a new body because we're going to be up there. We're going to be up there. Verse 40, he says, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Now, what's he talking about? Okay, terrestrial bodies, terra firma, these bodies that we have for this life, for the earth, and then celestial bodies, that's the heavenly bodies. But he says the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And uh, by the way, those of you that are familiar with Mormonism, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young got a little bit confused on this. And uh, they thought that God was talking about two different heavens, and then they threw in a third one. I mean, you might as well. And that's not what that's talking about. Paul's talking about the kind of bodies he gave us suited for terrestrial living. And I mean, next time you, you pick something up with your hands, thank God for that. 
If you can walk, thank God that you have all those different bones in your feet and all that complexity and your legs work like that and, and, your, and your brain can function along with that and being able to see and being able to hear and being able to speak and all those things that we take for granted. God made us that way because he knew we were going to live on this planet, which, by the way, is a favored planet. You know, people that believe in evolution, they eventually have to revert to a God. And you know what that God is? When push comes to shove, it's chance. They just figure if they give everything long enough, by chance, anything can happen. And they figure that if by chance this all happened on this favored planet where everything is just right, our orbit, our, our gravity, uh, our rotation around the sun, our rotation around the sun, because the earth rotates around the sun. And it's round. Let me just let you think about that for a second. Let that soak in. It's round. I know we're getting deep, but some of the brethren are having problems with this these days. And, and, and all of that that's going on, and, and astronomers and anthropologists and Christians knew this all along. God made the one perfect place for man to live. And if any of those things were out of kilter, atmosphere, whatever you want to look at. And, and, and by the way, God's going to keep the earth going. Honestly, relax a little bit. Okay? Tomorrow, when you get up in the morning, just take a deep breath when you watch the sunrise. And your three-quarter ton pickup isn't going to mess up the temperature of the earth. Ladies, whatever you're using to clean the sink isn't going to hurt the earth as far as global warming is concerned. Because global warming has nothing to do with you and me. We're not that important. We're not that big. We're not that mighty. We're not that powerful. You know what it has to do with? It's a 1,500-year cycle. It has to do with sun activity. You know that big star in the sky that gives off bazillions of degrees of heat? Sunspots, solar storms, it's cyclical, and it's a 1,500-year cycle. If you want to read about it, we put a book in the bookstore written by two super brainiologists. You say, what were they? I don't know. They're brainiologists. They study all this stuff. They got all the charts and everything. And some of them are easy to understand, and they're so smart that some of them are completely confusing. So you know they're smart enough to know this stuff. So man imagines he's got to keep all of this together. Folks, God's keeping it together. And, and so Paul's saying here, you got celestial bodies, you got terrestrial bodies. The glory of the one is, is, is one thing, the glory of the other is another thing. And then look, it, he goes on to elaborate in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun. Uh, I, I'm told by astronomy that our sun is a pretty average star. It's pretty average. It, it's not small, it's not super big, it's average. And so the evolutionist surmises, well, if this all happened by chance, it's got to be happening by chance everywhere else in the universe. We just haven't found it yet. And the only time we've had a visitor is on sci-fi movies. Now, look, I like Marvin the Martian. 
You got to like a guy that shows up on your planet with a ray gun and a dog and he's going to take over. But can I let you know a little secret? I even know this. He's not real. He's not real. And the evolutionist thinks, well, all of those other peoples have to be out there in other planets because this all happened by chance. And evolution couldn't be confined just to one little planet in one little solar system in this vast, 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 vast universe that we can't even span. Well, you're right. Evolution couldn't be that way. But creation could be. And, and you, know, you, know, you know where we are, folks, according to the word of God? We're on God's darling little spot in this huge universe that he created. He says, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. I saw this as a commercial one time. Is this for real? They'll sell you a star or name one after you or something. Is that for real? I guess that'd have to be on your bucket list. Hey, honey, we got to get to our star before we die. <laughs> Help yourself. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Folks, this body is sown in corruption. This body right now is corrupting. Man, if you don't take a bath once in a while, everybody will smell it. You don't take a bath once in a while, you'll be itching. We've got to eat to keep our bodies going. Waste has to be removed. There's all these processes going on, but they're, they're running down. It is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. What's God telling us? We've got a much better body waiting for us, folks. A much better body. We shall be changed. He says, he says here in verse um, uh, 45, he says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first Adam being Adam of Adam and Eve, the first created human beings, and the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, he's the one that undid what the first Adam did by sinning. And then notice verse 46, Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. So there are no spirit babies up in heaven waiting for bodies. Paul said the natural is first. Then the spiritual, not the spiritual, then the natural. Mark that verse and share that with your Mormon friends and share it with respect and love and tell them about Jesus Christ, how he can save them. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Wow, folks. As is the earthy, verse 48, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are 
heavenly. You know, we, we talk in, and we read in the Bible that we'll eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ ate fish with his disciples after his resurrection. And, and we think, wow, that's great because I like eating. Folks, you've never eaten until you've eaten that way. I love a good meal, especially when I'm hungry. You're working real hard outside, you come in, and you have a nice hot meal. How wonderful is that? How wonderful is it going to be to eat in heaven? No calories, no clogging your arteries, have all the fried chicken you want. Have all the anything that God's serving up that you want. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We shall be changed. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Uh, we'll close on this thought right here. We'll close on this thought right here. Uh, flesh and blood are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now think about flesh and blood as we know it now. Flesh there's going to be glorified flesh. There's no talk of blood. Not in the next life. So we'll have something else running through our veins, whatever that is, if we have veins. I don't know. But blood is kind of a mysterious thing. It's the thing that keeps us alive. But it's the thing, when things go bad, puts us in the grave. In fact, it is so corrupt in its present form, the embalmer takes it out so they can view you for a few hours before they put you in the ground. But the Bible says flesh and blood, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Folks, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Folks, where we're going, there is no corruption. And we will have no more inherent corruption. Folks, I'm looking forward to my body getting all fixed up. But I'll tell you what else I'm really looking forward to. The mind getting all fixed up. The heart being exactly where it needs to be. And, and I'll never have a thought again that I can't just grab and run with. Because I won't be able to think any wrong thoughts. Oh, by the way, I'll be in a place where there won't be any wrong thoughts to collect. I'll have glorified eyes. Man, I'll tell you, sometimes I'm just driving down the road and looking at a sunset or, or a landscape or, or, a, or a farmer's field before it gets turned into a subdivision. I'm sorry. I don't like driving down the road seeing the tops of houses. I like to see corn. I like to see alfalfa. I like to see mint. I like to see steer grazing out there. I got up this morning while it was dark and we had the Christmas tree on. Yep, I put it up yesterday. We are early. And if you think it's a bale bush, then don't tell me about it, okay? <laughs> and the steer was out there grazing. And he's out there and he saw that because, you know, you could see the lights there. And you ever look at them when they're, they're just facing you knock-kneed like that? with a real dumb look on their face. I like driving past a field full of cattle grazing. And one of these days, one of these days, one of these days, 
No corruption. No corruption. We'll be changed. The environment will be, in, will be incredible. The beauty we'll see will be magnificent. The things we'll hear. I get driving down the road and see all, the, all, that, all that scenery. And yeah, I have glasses, but I see pretty good. I see pretty good. And I can't help but say thank you, Lord, that I can see good. Can you see good this morning? Thank God. But one of these days we'll see like we've never seen before. We'll hear like we've never heard before. We'll feel, we'll taste. We'll, we'll, we'll feel alive like we've never felt before. Why? Because God promises, if you're saved here this morning, we shall be changed. Folks, for the Christian, the best is yet to come. And the most feared word in the English language, death, holds no real fear or anxiety for us because Jesus Christ conquered death for us. And our future is that we will be changed. Think on stepping on shore and finding it heaven, taking hold of a hand and finding that it's God's hand, of breathing new air and finding it celestial air, of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality of passing from storm and tempest into an unbroken calm, of waking up and finding yourself home. The Bible says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Are you saved here this morning? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? If you don't, you can you can't. This isn't for an exclusive group of people. God knows nothing of this business of, you know, certain people were predestinated to be saved and certain were predestinated to be damned. God says, whosoever will, whosoever will, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants to give you eternal life. God wants you to live the rest of your days with this promise that someday you will be changed. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning. And in just a moment, we're gonna have an invitation. And maybe you're a believer this morning and you've just been going through some tough stuff. Maybe it's time to focus on heaven a little bit more. <clears throat> maybe it's time to focus on the fact that someday you'll be changed. You'll be changed. And if it's pain, if it's chronic illness, if it's fatigue, if it's fear, it's distress, it's anxiety, it's relationships, it's financial, whatever, you're going to be changed someday. God's going to take care of all of it. And maybe you're here this morning without Jesus Christ. You don't know him as your personal savior. He'll give you eternal life. He wants to save you. And that's why some of us here this morning can say we're going to be changed just because of his grace, just because of what he did for us on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. How many here would say this morning, preacher, God spoke to my heart, I'm not saved or I'm not sure, but I can assure you some prayer this morning. Is there anybody here that would just slip their hand up for a moment? I won't embarrass you, I won't point you out, I won't do anything like that, but 
You say, preacher, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saved or I know I'm not saved. Would you please pray for me this morning? I want eternal life. I want to know someday that I'll be changed. Is there anyone here by the uplifted hand? Just signify for a moment. I'd like to pray for you. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great promise, Lord. Help us to focus on it. And to remember it's all because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 400 and, or excuse me, 631, number 631. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never Brother, would you close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the message that we just heard about our that blessed day, Lord, when our bodies are going to get changed, Lord. What a wonderful day that'll be. Lord, I pray that as we go out these doors, that it wouldn't just uh, slip from our minds, Lord, but that we would long for that day 
constantly and tell others so that they could see that day as well, Lord. Pray that we would be witnesses for you this week, and uh, pray that you bring everybody safely back tonight and keep everybody safe on the roads, Lord. We love you. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen.